First Corinthians chapter six, verses one through twenty. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do not you, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning the things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not ex rather accept wrong? Why do you rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and this, by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of harlot? Not Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Good morning. We are at a very interesting point in the book of Romans, chapter 1. We are at a point where he starts getting specific now with the sin that is common to every person. We covered last week the issues of making decisions to follow the Creator or to follow the creation. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, what a person would do, the natural response of a sinner to general, general revelation. The sinner will think what he thinks is a wiser decision than worshiping the Creator. He professes to be wise. Uh, he do, how does the wrath of God show itself to the sinner? 
who thinks he's wiser than the Creator. The sinner will become more and more foolish in his thinking. He'll go further down that road of thinking foolishly. And he'll become more and more ignorant. He'll exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for something corruptible. And he will become more and more and more confused. For the image of the form of the corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures, he will worship rather than worshiping the Creator. Now today, he's going to get more into uh, the sins that sinners delve into when they're allowed to have free reign over sin by God giving them up. Nope, wrong one. There we go. There was a... uh, a writer who was writing to college singles. And uh, the columnist received a letter asking how Christian singles can deal with their sexual desires and still uphold their Christian beliefs. Okay? Christian singles can deal with their sexual desires and still uphold their Christian beliefs. Well, the columnist didn't know how to answer So she responded, referred to a woman on her staff that deals with Christian single retreats. So you would expect good information from a lady who's in charge of the Christian single retreats. This is what she said. She replied that each couple was to make a decision for themselves. If having sex before marriage would harm their relationship or compromise their personal value system, they should refrain, she said. Otherwise, sex as a loving relationship is all right without the sanctions of marriage. That is a Christian leader telling Christian singles how to deal with sexual issues. Now, This is what Paul gets into this morning. He gets into sexual issues. And he's going to give you advice that's different than that Christian lady who's in charge of Christian single retreats. So, the Bible is very, very practical and gives us solutions to very practical questions. And we'll look at how it goes. Now, we're going to start uh, with the first word in our verses today. Notice what it says in verse 24. It said, oh, well, I can't assume this. I'm assuming your English versions will say, therefore. Everybody have therefore there? Wherefore. Okay, I don't know what that means, but we'll go with therefore. Okay? Therefore. That word is an extremely key word in the writing process that Paul is doing. It not only refers back to the previous verse or the previous two verses, it actually goes back to the previous verse 1. It goes from everywhere from verse 1 down to verse 
23. So it covers everything before. And it sets off a, a, a section where Paul will talk specifically about an issue, and then he'll bring up the issue again two verses later, and he'll bring up the issue two verses later again. So he's going to make three points here dealing with the same issue. He's not going to talk about three different issues. He's going to talk about the same issue. Okay, you want to know what the issue is? There you go. Thank you. I'm glad all of you are with me here. <sighs> Verse 24, therefore God gave them over. If you write in your Bibles, underline that phrase. Therefore God gave them over. People in the verses before this have rejected the gospel message, have rejected general revelation, have rejected God. They have rejected the Creator and worship creation. When you reject God, you cannot expect no problems in your life. If you have two options, one to take God's opinion or your own opinion, and you take your own opinion, do not think that God will leave it at that. The very first characteristic in the Bible says God is jealous. God wants the creation to worship the Creator. We talked about two ways. We talked about honoring God, or worshiping God, or serving God, and giving Him thanks. Natural revelation, everything we have in this world, all creation is to do two things. To get you to honor God, or to thank Him. Now, Paul says, if you do not honor God, you sin. You do not thank God, you sin. God's just not going to be happy about it. He's going to give you over to sin. Therefore, God's wrath is going to be seen in different ways, three different ways. 24 and 25, 26 and 27, and then 28 through 32. We're going to see how God gives sinners over. We're going to see how God deals with people who sin. God does not sit on His cloud and say, that's okay with me. He distributes wrath. And when you're sinning, you do not want to be under the wrath of God because the hole will get darker and darker. Now, one of the underlying things that Paul brings out in the book of Romans is that God is merciful. Don't want you to forget that while we're talking about the wrath of God. God is merciful. Romans 11 verse 32 says, for God has shut up all disobedience. God shuts up all disobedience. Why? So that he may show mercy to all. Okay. This is going to sound confusing. 
But one of the reasons God gives people over to sin, to allow them to sin more, to allow them to go deeper down that hole of sin, to allow them to go in a bad way to the worst way, is so that God can show them mercy. So that you can experience the mercy of God. That is one of the things that will continue throughout the book of Romans until we get to chapter 11. (laughs) Mercy. So this morning, while we talk about wrath, we talk about God's judgment upon sinners, and we talk about maybe sins that you commit, when we talk about it, we have to talk about the mercy of God. So, if you are a sinner or have been habitually sinning this past week, I want you to know that God is merciful. But He does not like you sinning. And He's going to cause things to happen to make you get into a deeper, deeper hole until there's only one way to look. And that's to God. Now, that may be the weirdest introduction to a sermon you've heard. But that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So put your seatbelts on. Matter of fact, let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would work now as we study your word, that we understand your word, that we understand your wrath, we understand you giving us over to sin. Help us to understand, Father, that sin is not what you have for us, that's not the plan for us, that you desire for us to honor you and to thank you. And I pray, Father, that we would help one another this morning to stop doing these sinful things and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that we produce honor and thanks to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here you go. First thing I want you to notice, therefore God gave them over. What is God's desire for a believer living in this sinful world? What is God's desire for a believer living in this sinful world? First, number one, a believer will be pure in his thoughts. Will be pure in his thoughts. The other option, a sinner will dream of sin. A believer will be pure in his thoughts. Or you will be a sinner and you will dream about sin. There are only two choices here. A lot of things will be pass or fail this morning. (laughs) Only two choices. Either you're a believer and you will be pure in your thoughts. Or you're a sinner and you will dream of sin. What is God's desire? Does God's desire for you living in a sinful world is that you will be pure in your thoughts. Look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them over. Aorist active. In other words, God does actively work to give them over. God's action is judicial. It's a judgment. It's a display of His wrath. He judges you and gives the sinner over to his sin. Over to his lust. The verb shows that God is actively, not passively, working in giving you over to your sin. God giving sinners over to the sin is an act of judgment. God's standards of moral purity are not keeping you away from the fun of sin. But 
keeping you away from the destruction of sin. Do you understand the difference between those two statements? There are people who think that God is, by telling you a bunch of do's and don'ts, commanding you not to do certain things, is somehow keeping fun away from you. That is not what God's doing. God is keeping you away from destruction. Destruction that comes from sin and continuing in sin and living in sin and dwelling in sin and getting better at sin. It only leads to destruction. God will work. There was a uh, pastor who said, quote, Without God, there are no abiding truths, no abiding truths, no lasting principles, no norms. Mankind is cast upon a sea of speculation and skepticism and attempted self-salvation. When you dig into this hole of sin, you get nothing, no joy, no happiness, no contentment, nothing. All you get is more and more problems. You get to the point to where you want to deceive yourself, thinking that you're saved in the middle of your sin. And you do not want to be there. You want to be pure in your thoughts. This is how you're pure in your thoughts. See the phrase? In the lust of their hearts to impurity. The lust of their hearts to impurity. The lust is your wish to have something you do not possess. To have something you do not have. The word indicates a drive or a force which does not rest until it's satisfied. Your heart, it begins in your heart. Sin begins in your heart. It's where you want to have a single sinful evil desire. And it starts in your heart. The sin begins in your heart and spreads to your actions. It causes impurity. The culture allows lust to take over and conforms the results to God's leaving, abandoning you and leaving you alone. You want a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, on moral terms, what you'll have is you'll have this impurity, which is, and the way Paul writes it, and the way the New Testament writes it, that impurity will lead you to sexual immorality. Now, in that day, it was very common to have temples, and with every temple you had, temple prostitutes. Because what they would do is they would have some kind of sexual relationship and think that sexual relationship was somehow worshiping this idol. And every idol had it. Can you imagine if we took one of our false teachers today and added to their propaganda sexual prostitutes? You know what I would think? I think their attendance would grow. And grow. And grow. 
because our culture is getting so confused on what morals are. This term, impurity, is used over and over again. 2 Corinthians 12, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 4. Always Paul uses it and he connects it with sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Now we need to keep this in our thoughts. <laughs> or maybe not. In your heart, God wants a pure heart. He wants you to love the Creator and thank Him. Instead, a sinner's heart gets taken over with sexual desires that come from lust, which he cannot have, cannot take, cannot have an involvement with. And it con controls his heart until it controls his actions. Now, notice the second thing. His lust of their hearts, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So their bodies would be dishonored among them. It starts with their heart, and it leads to their actions, and they have to use their body. And again, this is talking about sexual immorality and the way Paul's using the term. So the thoughts begin, and then the actions come. Thoughts begin, and the actions come. The second thing that God desires for a believer living in a sinful world is a believer to be pure in his actions, to be pure in his actions. Not only be pure in your thoughts, but be pure in your actions, what you do. He wants you to be pure in your actions. And understand the other side of the coin, a sinner will not dream about sin, but he will participate in sin. He will actually do it. If he dreams about it, he does it. And he will do whatever he can to get the sin that he thinks will please him. Believer wants his heart to be pure so that he can focus on God, honor him, thank him, so that his actions will go about honoring God and thanking him. So their actions are going in a different direction than the sinners. Than the sinners. What is going on here is that the idol worship of his day and the prostitution, by the way, Corinth, where he's writing the book from, he's writing Romans from Corinth. In Corinth, you know what they had? They had a thousand sacred prostitutes in their town. He knew what he was talking about. <laughs> the way you broke down sins in categories in that day was in two ways. Sensual sins and antisocial sins. You have sensual sins like immorality, impurity, and you would have antisocial sins like murder or whatever. Guess what? Paul seems to divide his sins up in this chapter the same way. Talking now first about sensual sins. 
Now, let's think about this real quick. We're a church. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to show that we love one another. Uh, I had a friend. His name was Lou. Lou spent his lifetime working with women. (laughs) He sold beauty salon stuff. He would go from one beauty salon to another beauty salon, and he would sell shampoo and whatever they have in those places. Okay? I don't know. (laughs) So, they would go to beauty salons, and he would treat women differently than I would treat women because he works with women all the time. And at church, he was one of the ushers, and he would greet women with a hug when they came in the door. For Lou, that was the same thing he did in business every day. It didn't mean anything to Lou. But to some of the Christian women, it was a step too far having a hug. Now, in a church, we have to have some kind of balance between showing our love and what we do. Guess where we go to figure out what to do? Bible. The Bible, interesting enough, if sin is the biggest problem this church could have, if sexual immorality is the biggest problem this church could have, The Bible has to give us answers on how to deal with it. And guess what the Bible does? Turn to Proverbs. Book of Proverbs. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2. Now, this is going to be for everyone in the room. Okay? This is going to help you. Now, I am not insulting you or talking about your dating life or your married life, or, but I am. But I'm not going to talk about it in a negative way, and I'm not picking on you. I'm just reading what the Bible says. These things, if you notice them happening in a relationship you have, It is warning you to get away from the relationship. This is written from a father to a son. And the father is trying to teach the son how to live in this world. And the principles he gives us are the same as we should have today. So, if you're single, I'm going to help you this morning. If you're newly married, I'm going to help you this morning. If you're middle married, I'm going to help you this morning. If you've been married a long time, I'm going to help you this morning. So pay attention. Here we go. If your spouse is asleep, wake him up. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16. Verse 16. To deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, who flatters with her words, The Bible gives us eight ways to identify a sexual predator. Somebody who has the possibility of wanting nothing to do with us but have sex and hurt our marriages. 
Verse 16, deliver you from the strange woman, the adulteress who flatters you with her words. Number one, the tempter will praise you more than your spouse does. The tempter will praise you more than your spouse does. If you're married, they will come along with flattering words. They will say how smart you are, how brave you are, how good you were in the meeting on Monday. You look good today or whatever it is, they'll flatter you with their words and they will say it in such a way that they are showing that they're not being honest with you. They will flatter you with their words. The compliments are trying to seduce you and flatter you. Verse 17, first part of verse 17. That leaves the companion of her youth that leaves her companion of her youth. In other words, number two, the tempter will have a history of short-lasting relationships. They will not have a long relationship resume. If you meet them, they will have a short-term relationship before you and a short-term relationship before that and before that and before that. That's how they do it. They leave companions. And they say things that they love you, but as soon as they get their sexual gratification, they will be done with you and leave you. The tempter will have a history of short-lasting relationships. They will show a lack of commitment to people. You want to see how their commitment is. Verse 17, the middle. And forgets the covenant of her God. And forgets the covenant of her God. The tempter will have a lack of commitment to God. Oh, yeah, we can go to church, but let's go on a picnic instead. Yeah, I know it's Sunday, but let's, let's, let's go on a hike. Yeah, I know Wednesday night's Bible study and, and prayer meeting. I know we can go, but let's go roller skating instead. They'll, have, they'll show a sign of a lack of commitment to God. And that's not what you want if you're single. You want somebody that has a strong commitment to God. The tempter will have a lack of commitment to God. They may use biblical words, but they're very hypocritical in their faith and walk with God. Go to chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 6. Proverbs 5, verse 6. The tempter will have a lack of commitment to God. That's number 3. Number four, chapter five, verse six. She does not ponder the path of her life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. What are eight ways to identify a sexual predator? Number four, the tempter will have an unstable lifestyle. An unstable lifestyle. You can't count on them. You can't count on them at work or their social life or their church life. You will not be able to count on them. Their word will not be reliable. They will make promises they will not keep. And they will hurt you. Go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25. Proverbs 6, verse 25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. The tempter, number five, 
The tempter will emphasize the physical appearance. They will emphasize the physical. They will wear clothes that gets you to lust after them. They'll, get, they'll wear clothes to get them to lust after you. And by the way, one way we have it in our society is with tattoos. Have you ever noticed the tattoos, what they do is they catch your eye and you look at where the tattoo is. And many times you will see the tattoos are in places where your eye shouldn't be. So you got to be careful with people who dress up their beauty to get you to lust after them. Chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 11. Proverbs 7, verse 11. Proverbs 7. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. Her feet do not remain at home. Number 6. The tempter will not fulfill their family responsibility. The tempter will not fulfill their family responsibilities. And by the way, uh, single ladies, look at me for a minute. One of the, look at me. One of the best ways you can find out the information about the man you're dating or want to date is to look how they treat their family. Look how they treat their mother, their father, their brothers, their sisters. You can learn a lot about how they will treat you by how they treat their parents. That's free. Here we go. The tempter will not fulfill their family responsibilities. They will have a hard time under the authority that God has given them. They'll rebel against their parents. They won't honor their parents. Go to chapter 23, Proverbs chapter 23, Proverbs 23, verse 28, Proverbs 23, verse 28, verse 28, surely she lurks as a robber, I like that, and increases the faithless among men. She lurks like a robber and increases the faithlessness among men. Number seven, the tempter will be self-centered. The tempter will be self-centered. They will have a hard time serving their, their somebody else. They will have a hard time serving somebody. They'll always want others to serve them. They'll have a strategy somehow to please themselves in your relationship. They want their needs met, not your needs. Not your needs. And this one, Proverbs chapter 30. Now I'm going to wait until everybody gets to my favorite verse in Proverbs. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's the one I end up turning to more than any other. Proverbs chapter 30. I'll wait. Proverbs 30, verse 20. Proverbs 30, verse 20. Here you go. Number eight. What are eight ways to identify a sexual predator? 
And this is really the most important. Verse 20, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. Number eight, the tempter, the tempter will deny that their sin is sin. They will deny that sin is sin. And if you're ever in a relationship, whatever relationship it is, if you're married and somebody else is using things and saying something to you that's sinful and it's not sinful, be aware of that. Stay away from them. Run home to your spouse. The interesting thing is, if you're single, you should recognize this right away. Because sin will come up in your relationship every single date. And you want to make sure that he has the same view of sin that you do. And he calls sin, sin. Because an adulterous woman eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. She doesn't recognize the sin that she lives in. You have to have a short (laughs) dealing with sin. So, if you're married and you have somebody that you're not married to that's treating you like these eight things, stay away from them. It'd be better to transfer to a different apartment in your workplace than getting into an adulterous affair and destroying your marriage and your family and your Christian witness. If you're dating, you're single, you're looking for a a husband or a wife, if they do one of these things, God has a better guy for you, a better woman for you. Leave her. Leave him. Just say no. Here you go. I got number nine, but not number nine. In other words, be sexually pure. It used to be that 50 years ago, pastors would preach this message and he'd point at all the men in the room. Because all the men in the room were the ones that had the possibility of doing an adulterous affair. Now, with so many women working, they now are getting adulterous affairs on their part. So now I'm going to talk to both of you, men and women. Now, I don't like this stat. That's why I'm going to give it to you. There was a survey done. 66% of married couples have one spouse or the other that has committed adultery. 66. They're not reading the book of Proverbs. Okay? 66%. The average American now in America has seven sexual partners in your lifetime. Seven. Go ahead, ask me what God thinks about sex. I like how you unisonly said that. All is unison. I like that. It's like a choir. 
You guys are always on key. Just, just pounce on that. Let me give you the theology of sex in the Bible. Nine theological principles about sex. First off, sex is good. Sex is good. Ephesians 1. Sex was created by God. Colossians 1. Sex continues to exist by the will of Jesus Christ. Sex is according to the will of God. Ephesians 1. Sex is subject to the leadership of your Lord Jesus Christ. He's in charge of it. Sex is good for the believer. Romans 8. Sex is the reason for thanksgiving, which is one of the things you're supposed to do. Thank God. Sex is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Sex for two believers that are married. Excuse me, I've got to change that now. Man. <sighs> two believers, man and woman, Sex is pure and non-sinful. Why? Because God has five reasons for sex. First off, it's to be within marriage. Two, it's for unification. It unifies the couple. Three, it's for identification. That's why you call her your wife. That's why you call him your husband. It's for procreation. It's how you have kids. And it's for recreation. It's for pure for believers within marriage, man and woman. Now, for us to be pure, we have to handle the sexual immorality of this world. This world does not worship the Creator. Hope that doesn't surprise you. This world worships themselves. Therefore, whatever they want to make them happy is what they want to do. And they've grown up in this society where sex is nothing. It's not held on the standard that God holds it on. So, you have to be careful in this world. Husbands, you want your marriage to be firm on the foundation. Single people, you want your life to be firm until you're married and then enjoy the privilege of sexual pleasure within marriage. Here you go. Let's go. I'm going to give you a test. This is a test we're all going to take it's pass or fail. Pass or fail. You, you mess up on one of these answers, you fail. Okay? You have to get all four answers right to be right. Ready? Verse 25, Romans chapter 1. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creation, creator, creature, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. There are four tests for a believer. Four tests for a believer. 
You have to get each one. Number one, the believer must be pure in truth. The believer must be pure in truth. The other option, the only other way to take this, is a sinner will believe a lie. A believer does not believe a lie. A believer believes the truth. You do not exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's what sinners do. You do not want to ever compromise on the truth. You exchange the truth for a lie, you're doing exactly what a sinner would do. Exchange, one exists outside of creation for that which exists for a moment is caught in the process of decay indicates ignorance of fallen humans. In other words, you want to worship the Creator, not creation. There are countless systems in this world of worshiping the creation. You do not want to mix religions and pick the best thing. You want to mix, you want to have the truth of God. Not only the truth of God, but the truth of God concerning all things and all people. Sinners will not give God honor and thanks. They will fall for the lie. That's how it's written in the Greek, the lie. The lie. The lie above all others. The contention that something or someone is to be venerated in place of the true God. Worship something, desire something other than the true God. Paul is contrasting the lie with the truth. Jeremiah 13.25, this is your lot, your portion, your measure from me, declares the Lord, because you have not forgotten me and not trusted in falsehood. You don't want to trust in falsehood. A lie refers to the unreality, which is imagined to be reality. And that's what you have today when you talk about morals with the non-believer. Not a reality. Come up with fantasy. Second, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped. And worshipped. That's an interesting word. It only occurs here in the New Testament. The only time the Greek word is used in the Bible. And it's translated worship. A believer will be pure in his worship. A believer will be pure in his worship. A sinner will worship themselves. Which is what you do when you worship an idol. You're worshiping yourself. <clears throat> Your worship, is passive. In other words, you do it naturally. It comes out of you. Worship. People worship and become like what they worship. You want to worship God, the truth of God, who God is. It's like honoring religiously, to worship generally, to worship with an awe for God and who He is. Third, a lie of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature. Served the creature. Number three, a believer will be pure in his service. A pure in his service. A sinner will serve himself. He will worship himself. Serve himself. He'll do both of those. Worship himself and serve himself. Aorist active. In other words, this is what you do. An action you do. You will do something to serve yourself rather than serve God. Worship God is an outward expression 
of a person's inward devotion to the Lord. That's what worship's supposed to be. This word served is our common word that we normally translate worship throughout the New Testament. The Greek term means religious action. Religious action. Worship is a way of life for the believer. It begins at salvation, continues for all eternity. Worship is a ministry done for others that God is glorified by. You glorify God by serving. You serve God and you serve others. And that pleases God. Fourth, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever and ever and ever, amen. The fourth test, a believer will be pure in his focus. Pure in his focus. He will focus upon God, the Creator. He'll focus on God, the Creator, rather than the creature, rather than the idol, rather than something else. Rather than passing, the cre- passing by the Creator. The sinner here is passing by the Creator. It's just walking by the Creator. A sinner will not see the Creator. They'll see a beautiful sunset and they won't think about God. They'll think about themselves. The Creator, in contrast to great dishonor, Paul has to stop and praise God. Because every believer should stop and praise God. Blessed forever. Reference to God the Father means that God is perfectly joyful when it talks about God being blessed. Perfectly joyful. Nothing changes His heavenly commitment. Believers are blessed because they're in union with God who is blessed. And then amen. We've talked about that before. Amen. The word literally means to be firm or faithful or certain to be true. (laughs) The Hebrew word denoting firm, strong uh, affirmation. It's said in a congregation when the preacher preaches something that you agree with and you say, so be it. You say, Amen. amen. Application. Will I grow in my personal Bible study so that I know the truth and what the truth is? As I give awe and fear that the Creator deserves, as I increase my amount of service, knowing that this will keep the temptation of sin far from me. And that's what you want. You want sin far from you. As long as sinful men are alive, God provides an opportunity for their salvation. He wants to provide mercy. Isaiah 19.22 The Lord will strike Egypt, striking but healing. Striking but healing. So they will return to the Lord. He will respond to them and they will be healed. Striking and healing. God sometimes strikes to heal. He sometimes strikes to to heal. Two bottles. They're almost alike. Almost alike. I could move them around. I could switch them. You wouldn't know which one's which. I could call you up here and tell you, bring your straw and take a drink out of one of my bottles. I didn't get bring two of them because I was thirsty. I brought two of them to tell you a little story. One of these bottles could have poison 
in them. And you come up with your straw, you get to pitch, pick either bottle. Now guess what? This poison, you can't tell which one it is. Because they look the same. So you don't know which one is which. I would have to write something on the bottle to help you. So you wouldn't drink the poison. Or was it this one? I can't remember. <laughs> but you got two bottles. And really, that's all you have is two bottles. You don't have 30 bottles. You got two. You got one bottle which says you remain faithful to the spouse that God gave you. And you keep everything away from that relationship that might harm it. Or, you can take a drink of the poison. They look the same. They act the same. They shake the same. They bubble the same. But one will kill you. Contrary to what Dear Abby said in one of her letters back to uh, somebody who wrote to her and put it in the paper, affairs are not good for a marriage. That's what she said. They don't help, they kill. And if you're single, being sexually active is not remaining pure. It's not getting experience. It's not getting better so that when you find the guy to marry that you'll be better. It's poison. It will kill you. Now, the interesting thing is that a non-believer will pick which bottle? The one with the poison. That's what they naturally do. By the way, that's why you don't date non-believers. They have a taste for the poison. And they're storing up wrath for themselves when they stand before a holy God. Now, as your pastor, I want you to remain, no, not that one, pure. Because God has a plan for your singleness and your marriage. That God has a perfect plan. And it wasn't an accident who you married. It wasn't by chance or luck. It was God appointed. And it's for your best. Don't make mistakes. Affairs will not help your marriage. Everybody hear me? Everybody besides Lori hear me? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, you would be glorified in all we do and say. Pray, Father, for the marriages out here that you would keep a spiritual fence around them. Father, keep them safe from any temptation to 
break their marriage vows. I pray, Father, you would keep them strong, keep them close, keep them together. Pray, Father, for every single person in this room. I pray, Father, that you would get in their brain how important they are and how special they are for that future person. And they don't want to, Father, break anything or ruin anything now for that future relationship that you will bring into their lives at the right time. I pray, Father, you help them not to be impatient and accepting something lower than what you want for them. Pray, Father, you would be with them and you would strengthen them. I pray, Father, for right now and between now and they meet their spouse, that they would be strong and they would grow in their faith and the study of your word. And that they will keep their eyes open, Father, staying away from people that will be predators to them and hurt them. And I pray, Father, they keep be safe. And at the same time, Father, I pray for our church that we would love one another, that we would be comfortable with each other, that we would speak openly, lovingly, kindly to each other. And I pray, Father, that the huggers would hug and the non-huggers would shake hands. And I pray, Father, that you would be with us as a church, that you'd make us growing in our love for one another, that we would be the church you want us to be. In Jesus' blessed name, amen.